Chapter 10 Mutton stew simmered over the stone oven's hot flames. Ina supervised a dozen women, as they busily finished preparations for the evening meal. The aroma of hot stew and the smell of baking bread filled the cooking area and seeped into Renton's adjoining hall. Let the men know we will be serving supper shortly, Nina said to Siana and Arabella as the two hovered beside the serving table, cutting their fresh baked loaves. Siana set down her knife and stepped to the door leading to the meeting hall. Arabella, come with me, she said. Let me finish here, Arabella replied. Then she cut her last slice and followed Siana. Siana tapped lightly on the door and waited for a response. She tapped again, but still no response came. Let me see if I can get my father, Arabella said and she stepped in front of Siana. She cracked the door and peeked inside the hall. Her father was standing in the center of the room, speaking with Alpin and Latham. She opened the door wider and waved. Constantine, oblivious to his daughter's gestures, continued to engage his audience of two. He doesn't see me, Arabella said. Let's go in and get him. He'll tell the men the meal is ready. Arabella took Siana's hand and pulled her through the door. The girls ambled into the hall of men and moved toward Constantine, trying not to draw attention to themselves. Taran, where have you been? Gura asked. I had to get some air, father. I couldn't stomach it any longer, these fools and their bloody wisdom, Taran said, shaking his head. He peered about the room then eyed his father. Father, would you come outside? I need to speak with you, privately. Son, I should not leave. Let it wait until later. Father, Alpin cannot lead these men. He is a double-minded man. Taran whispered tersely, agitated to the point of anger. Not now, Taran. Taran's jaw tightened. He spun and moved toward the door, but stopped suddenly when he glimpsed Arabella. She was coming toward him. He turned slightly and paused as if contemplating a thought. As Arabella passed, he stepped back and bumped her. Excuse me, my lady, Taran said. Oh, my lord, I am sorry. Do forgive my clumsiness, Arabella pleaded. Taran smiled at Arabella and then glanced at Siana, dismissively. There is no need to forgive such an innocent brush, especially from one so lovely. You seem to be on a quest, Taran noted. I'm sure I can assist you. Oh my lord, you are quite generous, I am trying to get to my father, Constantine. I must tell him the evening meal is ready. Ah, Constantine of Cashel. You are Constantine's daughter. Taran fixed his gaze on Arabella's lovely green eyes. I am Taran, son of Gura of Dumbarton. I must confess, I am embarrassed. We've met before, I do believe. It was here, at Renton's summer festival, some ten years ago. As I recall, Constantine's daughter was quite a young lassie. And now, the same young lady stands before me as the rarest of beauties. Come with me, I am certain I can steer a path through the men and take you to your father. Arabella peeked at Siana. Siana frowned, as she was all too familiar with Taran. With Melton and Dumbarton in close proximity, she and Taran had met on prior occasions, none of which had she found particularly memorable. Arabella turned to Taran, My lord, Taran, you are generous with your offer, and please do forgive my clumsiness. But the two of us must relay a message to my father before the ladies in the kitchen grow impatient with our dawdling. 
Very well, Lady Arabella, I shall allow you to pass. But the night is young. Surely we'll have the mutual pleasure of visiting again. The words had hardly left Taran's mouth before he grabbed her hand and kissed it. When finished, he raised his head and smiled at Arabella. He slowly lifted his arm in the direction of Constantine, and in a theatrical gesture, he extended his palm outward and freed the ladies to pass. Arabella grabbed Siana's arm and the two shuffled past Taran through the crowd of men toward Constantine. Taran gazed at Arabella as the two departed. He raised his hand and slowly rubbed his mouth. Then he smiled to himself, relishing the lingering scent of Arabella's touch. The aroma of the stew settled in the rustic hall while the twin lanterns on the oval table illuminated the evening meal. With supper nearly finished, the men found their previously empty bellies now warmed with mutton and ale, and the mood in the hall had an ease that had not been present in the earlier deliberations. Alpin pushed his empty soup bowl toward the middle of the table and then wiped away a dribble of stew that perched on the stubble of his beard. He turned to Constantine, waiting for him to finish his last bite. Constantine, we'll need all the men we can assemble. We'll need them from every village and town in Dalriada. Constantine swallowed his mouthful of bread and rested his spoon in his wooden bowl. I will gather the men from Cashel. I figure I'll have forty or fifty, plus others from the north. Constantine gazed to his left at Lathan. What about Melton, and those in the south? How many can you bring? Lathan tossed his napkin beside his finished meal and pushed back from the table. I would say I could gather about eighty men once I return to Melton and send the word out. When they hear of the Vikings and our plan to unite against them, you'll have an army of angry Scots looking for a fight. That's good, we'll need them, Alpin replied. I want to make it clear to the men that we must gather every capable man in Dalriada to fight the Vikings. We need to attack first. We need the element of surprise. That's our best chance. Alpin's eyes circled the hall. The men were finishing and preparing to leave. Excuse me, gentlemen, Alpin said to his two companions as he rose from his seat. Men, Alpin addressed the assembly, I hope that you have enjoyed your meal. The women worked hard preparing it for us. I thank them. He paused and collected his thoughts. Many of you will leave in the morning to return to your towns and villages. You know that we must gather every capable man to fight the Vikings. By the reports we've received, we believe the Vikings could reach us within a matter of weeks at the pace they're moving through the land. But we are not waiting to be attacked, we must bring the attack to them. As you carry the news of our plans, I ask that you carry this message as well, the Scots of Dalriada have united as one, to fight for the land we hold sacred. As our fathers have fought before us, so too will we stand and fight. Our time to stand is now. So I charge you, gather your men, your horses and your swords. In ten days, we shall meet here in Renton and march north to meet the enemy. We must secure our land as a free land for our families and for the families of our children to come. Finishing his speech, Alpin lifted his mug from the table and raised it in the air, for Dalriada. For Dalriada. The men's words echoed back, filling the hall. The evening grew late, and most of the men had drifted from the meeting hall. Some found rest in tents while others built campfires not far from the hall. Smoke from the fresh wood lofted into the cloudless night, and the fires brought a warm comfort to the cool evening air. Kenneth left the hall after his father finished his parting message to the men. He wanted to be alone. 
He wanted to think. He found a spot away from the commotion and he sat in the grass under the stars. He gazed up at the spring moon, full and round. Then he filled his eyes with the twinkling lights that dotted the darkness. The night sky was vast and beautiful. It had always been beautiful. He lost himself for but a moment before his thoughts migrated back to Renton's hall. His father's acceptance of the men's call gnawed at him. It was not that he felt his father wasn't the right man to lead. In his heart, he knew he was. The nagging feeling stemmed more from seeing that it had become a reality. Maybe if his father had declined, it would have shown the Viking attack was of small concern, or even someone else's concern. Yet his father's acceptance of the call to lead only proved that the threat was real. And alas, joining the men and leaving Renton was just as real. Kenneth tired of stewing in thought. He picked up a nearby rock and threw it at a tree. The rock struck the trunk and fell to the ground. Enough of this, he muttered to himself and he rose to his feet and strode back to the hall. Where is she? Kenneth asked Nessa. His sister was carrying the last of the bowls from the large oval table and was heading to the adjoining kitchen. Where is who? Nessa replied. Arabella. She's cleaning up your mess, that's where she is. Nessa gestured with her head toward the kitchen. Reaching the door, she pressed her back into it and pushed it open. Kenneth peeked through the open doorway and glimpsed Arabella leaning over a tub of water, scrubbing the evening cookware. He held his finger to his mouth to signal Nessa to keep quiet. Then he followed her through the doorway and crept behind Arabella. Nessa, do you think this water is still good, or should I, H.H.? Arabella jumped a foot off the ground when the two pairs of fingers jabbed her ribs. Got you. Kenneth teased. Arabella spun and hurled a bowl at Kenneth. The dish missed as he ducked. Kenneth laughed and clapped in delight. Kenneth, don't ever do that again. That's mean. A girl could die from such a scare. Kenneth stepped toward Arabella and attempted to catch her flailing arms as she scolded him. Arabella, I only wanted to take you away from the awful drudgery of these chores. The night is beautiful. Won't you come with me and leave these dishes behind? Come on, you have to see the moon tonight. And let the bowls wash themselves. Arabella replied. Kenneth, why don't you help finish the dishes, Nessa proposed. Then you can have your romantic evening under the moonlight. Kenneth scanned the pile of dirty bowls. All right, how about this, you two finish the dishes and I'll do my part by getting the horses ready. It's a great plan, I'll bring them to the front of the hall. He grinned and stepped toward Arabella. I'll meet you in front, and we can ride the east path for a mile or two. You'll enjoy the air. What do you say? He stared into her eyes and coaxed her with raised eyebrows. Arabella gazed at him, unable to resist. She smiled. I'll be done in a moment and I'll meet you in front, don't keep me waiting, she fussed. Kenneth nodded, see you there. He turned and grinned at his sister, then hurried out the door. What is it with you two, he seems to glow every time he looks at you. Did you put him under a spell? Nessa asked. I have to confess, I adore him, Arabella said, chuckling to herself. But I hate it when he scares me like that. Somehow though, he makes me laugh, even when I want to be mad at him. Arabella stooped over the grey dishwater and grabbed another bowl. She mused at the thought of Kenneth surprising her. 
Then she scrubbed the bowl and dunked it in the water. Arabella finished the bowls and wheeled the tub of grey water to the rear door. Nessa, can you give me a hand for a moment? Nessa set her rag down and helped Arabella muscle the wheeled cart over the threshold. Thanks, Ness. I can get it from here. Arabella let the door close behind her, and she pushed the cart through the grass, far enough away to dump the water. A few men loitered by a nearby fire, warming themselves. Arabella moved past in the shadows and found a suitable spot to empty the tub. She straightened and flexed her stiffening back before taking a moment to rest. Then she lifted the side of the tub and tipped it, letting the water rush across the grass. At first, the hand on her shoulder startled her. Then she smiled and giggled. She started to speak as she turned, Darling, when will you, oh. My, I do enjoy an affectionate greeting. I didn't realize we had grown so close, and so quickly, Taran said, smiling, his ego enlarged from the dinner ale. Arabella stood dumbfounded. Taran stepped closer and grabbed Arabella by the arm. He smirked, you know, you needn't call me darling. His eyes moved across her face and then down to her breasts. But go ahead, if you must, he said with a snicker. A crazed flicker danced in his eyes. Arabella could smell the alcohol on his breath. She was afraid. Lord Taran, please remove your hand from my arm, she politely insisted. My lady, I certainly wish you no harm. I simply wish to visit with you on this fine night, he said, and then his grip tightened. Kenneth waited with the horses at the front of the hall. Where is she? He thought to himself. He tied the horses to a nearby rail and went inside the meeting hall. When he opened the door to the kitchen, he found Nessa sweeping the floor. Where is Arabella? He asked. She went out to empty the water, Nessa said and pointed to the rear door. She may have walked around to the front. Did you see her outside? No, I didn't see her. That's why I'm here, Kenneth said, irritated, and then stepped out the back door. He stood under the night sky and scanned the area for Arabella. He noticed two men warming themselves beside a nearby fire, but couldn't find Arabella. Frustrated, he marched from the hall. After several paces, he spotted two more figures standing in the dark next to what appeared to be a washed-up cart. Arabella. Kenneth called and he moved toward the figures. Something wasn't right. He quickened his pace. Then he heard the cry, Kenneth. Taran pushed Arabella away when he heard Kenneth approaching. Losing her balance, Arabella stumbled, bumped the corner of the cart, and tumbled backwards. Kenneth leapt and reached for her as she fell, but Taran caught him by the torso and spun him around. In the blink of an eye, Taran cocked his arm and delivered a thundering blow to Kenneth's face. The punch landed square and knocked Kenneth to the ground. Kenneth rose to one knee. He shook his head and peered at Taran. Without a second thought, he lunged forward and tackled Taran around the waist. He drove his legs over and over, pushing Taran backwards until the two fell and landed in the wet grass. Stop it, stop! Arabella yelled. Kenneth ignored the shouts as he mounted Taran, and began punching him repeatedly in the head and jaw. Taran raised his arms and twisted under Kenneth, anything to block the blows and shield his face. Two pairs of hands suddenly grabbed Kenneth's shoulders and yanked him from Taran. Taran jumped to his feet. 
Need some help? One of the two men asked Taran. The two who had hovered by the fire were Dumbarton men, and they were now holding Kenneth firmly in their grip. Taran nodded at the men as he wiped his mouth. Then he moved forward and stepped face to face with Kenneth. You shouldn't have done that, son. From nowhere, a blow slammed Kenneth's gut, followed by a second to his jaw. Kenneth bent in half, gulping for air. The two henchmen clutching him held tight as Kenneth stooped and spat blood from his mouth. Stop! Arabella screamed again. But the passion of adrenaline and ale had already pushed the men too far. Kenneth stood erect and lifted his head. Taran glared into his eyes. Boy, be sure you know who you're dealing with before you decide to interfere in another man's affairs. Taran raised his fist to strike again. The punch never landed. Chorich's shoulder rammed Taran like a lightning bolt, lifting him off his feet and back onto the soggy ground. Kenneth wrestled against the hands that bound him and managed to break his right arm loose. But it was Ronan's punch to the jaw of the bigger man that ultimately set Kenneth free. The bigger man stumbled and Ronan continued to pound him. Aiden shoved the second man holding Kenneth. The man spun and threw a punch, catching Aiden in the ear. When his opponent recoiled, Aiden returned a blow to the man's chin and followed with a punch to his chest. Gasping for air, the man reached for Aiden. He had forgotten about Kenneth. But Kenneth hadn't forgotten about him, and Kenneth felt compelled to thank the man for letting him go, then he did so with a hard kick to the stomach. The man fell and rolled on the ground, grabbing his midsection and groaning in pain. Knock it off, boys. Knock it off. Luig's voice boomed in the darkness, startling the young men. Those on the ground jumped to their feet. Those on their feet turned in attention, each cutting glances at one another and sheepishly rubbing their fresh wounds. No one said a word. Luig stepped closer. I don't care who started this and I don't care why it started. Drop it, and drop it now. Our fight is not here and it's not with each other. Save your fighting for the devils in the north. You are Scots, you are brothers. Now act like it. He glared at the boys in disgust. I don't want to see this kind of foolishness again. Saying no more, he turned and tromped away. Taran and the two from Dumbarton brushed themselves off and departed on a path opposite of Luag into the darkness. The three never looked back. What the hell happened? Chorich said. He stepped to Kenneth and inspected his brother's eye where a large knot crowned his cheekbone. Kenneth fidgeted with his sore hands and stared at Chorich while his eye was being examined. As Chorich tended Kenneth, Aidan approached Arabella to see if she was hurt. She was shaking and her blouse was partially torn. Did Taran do this? He asked, noticing that her shuttering frame made her appear helpless and vulnerable. Are you all right, Arabella? Arabella gazed listlessly at Aidan. Tears streamed down her cheeks. Yes, I'm all right, she said, clasping the torn folds of her blouse and cupping the fabric to her chest. Then she lowered her head in humiliation. Kenneth brushed the grass from his shoulders after Chorich finished his examination. I saw Taran grabbing Arabella, Kenneth muttered to his brother. I couldn't control myself. I felt like killing him. It sounds like he had it coming, Chorich said. Kenneth shook his head, still caught in disbelief. Then he stepped past Chorich and went to Arabella. Aidan moved aside as Kenneth approached. 
Kenneth took Arabella's hands in his. He glanced back at his brothers and Ronan. Thanks for the help, I could have used it sooner, he said, then gave a brotherly smirk. Holler if you need us to save you again, Chorich replied, grinning back at Kenneth. The three turned and walked past the abandoned fire before disappearing into the night's darkness. Kenneth returned his focus to Arabella and held her close. He brushed her hair off her forehead and tucked it behind her ears. Are you all right? He asked, staring over her pitiful frown and spying a moist trail of tears on her cheek that glistened in the moonlight. Arabella was silent. She lifted her hand and gently touched Kenneth's swollen eye. A moment passed and she laid her head on his chest. Then she held him close and she cried. Kenneth tightened his arms around her. Her body was soft and warm. He loved her? He rested his chin on her head and gazed up at the moon. Arabella remained speechless. She didn't want to speak. She wanted to hold Kenneth. She wanted to hold him forever. As she clutched him, she thought of her first parents and how she lost them. The terror of that day repeated in her mind. She thought of Constantine and Senga, how they had rescued her and gave her a renewed chance at life. Another wave of pain struck as she recalled losing Senga. Her losses seemed inescapable. Her feelings for Kenneth, in some ways, made her wounds more raw and more painful. The man she loved stood before her, holding her, yet in a matter of days he would leave her. She wondered, even feared, that he may become like the others she'd loved. She felt the urge to run, to run and hide. She wanted to leave. She wanted to leave with him. If they left, they could make a life together, while staying meant that war would soon find them. She knew she couldn't ask Kenneth to run away with her, but that didn't stop her from wanting his heart, his whole heart. She knew he'd have to leave while she stayed behind, waiting for his return, praying for his return. His heart would be forever torn if she stole him away, ripping him from his father and brothers, who in a matter of days would march to fight. No, she would not force him to choose. She would not hurt him. She would not leave him. She would wait for him. She stood clutched in his arms under the moon's soft glow. She didn't speak. Her heart was too sore to speak. She simply stood and let him hold her.